You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Good day, Bruce. I have some good news today. Today? Huh? I'm, I'm for good news. They got the ship out of the Suez Canal. That is good news. I know that's mm-hmm. a big part of our trade, uh, world trade. You know, like, what was it, 12, 18% somewhere in there? 12%. Yeah, something like that. They got the ship out. And I actually, I feared the worst in it because underneath of that ship in the Suez Canal is a transatlantic communication cable. And if that thing would have snapped in half, we would have had a real problem on our hands. So it's good that that didn't happen. Yeah, they got it out. Uh, I saw the videos today of all the crews cheering and, and everything else, and all the ships were out there honking their you know horns and all that stuff. So they're eager to get some traffic moving again. So uh, how are you doing today, by the way, before I forget and get too far ahead? Yeah. Healthy alive. Yeah. Doing well, too, I, I hope. Yeah. Yeah, I just I'm very busy. Like this is the first time I've sat down today is this right here. Well, I mean, to be fair, this is also the first time I've sat down today, but it's also an early part of the day for me. Time difference. Yeah. Yeah. Salvage teams on Monday freed the colossal container ship that was stuck for nearly a week in the Suez Canal, ending a crisis that had halted one of the most vital waterways and halted billions of dollars a day in maritime commerce. You know, Some other ships have already been rerouted, and now they're going to have to, you know, it's too costly to turn them around and send them back. So now they're going to have to make all that trip around Africa and all the rest of it. Do you have any idea what that's going to do to piracy? Yeah, well, potentially it'll skyrocket. Uh, You know, I mean, these ships that were rerouted, they could easily be pirated. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll definitely see. It's going through a um, dangerous neighborhood, uh, if you will. So I I could see piracy being a problem. Good news is, is that the ship didn't tip over, didn't capsize, didn't lose any containers. So there's going to they are going to send some salvage teams in and some uh, investigation teams in, some authorities uh, to investigate exactly what happened and how that happened. And I would expect nothing less. But uh, before they allow traffic to go through, they have to investigate everything that's in there. So it's going to take them a day or two, you know, to get all the stuff. You know, maybe it was shallow right there. Right. Who knows? Who knows? And so you, the last thing you want is to send a couple of ships through and then they get stuck. Yeah. Then you're dealing I mean, with the it, same problem again. With, with the way it was wedged in there, they could have uh, broke loose some silt and sand and whatnot and could have made it more shallow in that area and would, you know, uh, would need to clear that up. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know uh, if it did or didn't. I put a video up yesterday of uh, about 400 ships that are hanging out there that are still waiting to get through. Chopper flew over and uh, took some some great aerial footage, and uh, we put it up on our Telegram channel for anyone that wants to take a look. Uh, at least 367 vessels carrying everything from crude oil to cattle are backed up as they wait to traverse the canal. What's this done to oil prices? It's gone up a little bit, hasn't it? Um, I mean, for the local areas that they would uh, send the oil to, I'm sure it, it probably did. But to us over here in the U.S., I, I doubt it really did anything. What's what's causing oil prices to skyrocket is, um, I don't know, the threat of heavy taxes and the cancellation of the 
um, pipeline. So, I mean, yeah, you know. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Dozens of other ships have taken the long alternate routes around the Cape of Good Hope at Africa's southern tip, a 5,000 kilometer, which is about 3,100 miles, detour that costs ships hundreds of thousands of dollars in fuel and other costs. Egypt, which considers the canal a source of national pride and crucial revenue, has lost over 95 million in tolls. Just in the last week, they lost 95 million. That's a lot of money to Egypt. You know, it might not seem like a whole lot here in the West, especially when we're, well, we got $4 trillion on deck. Yeah, it's on the way. We'll yeah. talk about that today. We, we'll talk about that today. The president of Egypt wrote on Facebook, Egyptians have succeeded in ending the crisis, despite the massive technical complexity. Mission accomplished. The whole world is relieved. You can say that again. The U.S. Embassy in Cairo tweeted its congratulations to Egypt. Uh, the canal is now unblocked. Uh, but it is unclear when traffic would, would return to normal. Analysis expect it could take at least another 10 days to clear the backlog on either end. So, yeah, it's going to take a while to move all those ships through. Uh, first of all, you got to clear it and make sure everything's OK to get them through. And then it's going to take a while to uh, to start getting them through there. But, um, yeah, in the meantime, I, I mean, at least that's good news, right? At least the thing's not still wedged in there. And then, of course, can you imagine if that thing had sunk in there? Uh, yeah, that would have been bad. As you were saying, that's that, that uh, awful transatlantic cable and, you know, all that stuff that's there, that would be really bad. Really, really bad. One of the biggest challenges they had in all this were the tides, rising and falling tides. Yeah. You know, yeah. because they had to wait and then they had to start again and then they'd have a little bit more time. Then the tide would be going out. Then it would be coming back in. It's like, yeah, uh, they say supposedly, the operation. Supposed, sorry, supposedly the supermoon actually helped in this uh, because supermoon means it's closer to the earth. Uh, closer to the earth means a higher tide. Higher tides. But no, that's that's rising sea levels, Bruce. That's that's man-made. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's man-made. Yeah, yeah. It, we had um, we had that one guy that made the laser that was trying to bring the moon closer to the. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> did I miss something? This is an Austin Powers reference. Oh, it was an Austin Powers reference. Man. OK. Yeah, speaking of that, there, there was a meme floating around. You know how he gets that little that little uh, vehicle he's driving in the first movie stuck in between yeah, the two walls? Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. Well, the, someone uh, it's like the loader or like a yeah, yeah it's almost yeah. like a taxi yeah so, someone pasted the evergreen ship that was stuck in the canal over top of that while the ever given was stuck the rising and falling tides put stress on the vessel which is 400 meters which is about a quarter mile long raising concerns it could crack or break thank god that it didn't all right well anyway yeah it's out of there uh let's let's get back to business yeah let's get moving now here's the interesting thing the ships that they sent off around the cape of good hope in africa what ships were they well a lot of them were oil tankers and that's a pretty hefty price for anybody that's engaging in any kind of piracy on the coast somalia maybe yeah somali pirates yeah does everybody everybody remember that yeah they even made a movie about it because it was based on a true story They've got a real problem with piracy off the coast of Africa, especially the eastern coast of Africa. It's climate change. They're, yeah. they're, they're suffering down there because of climate change. They're looking right. for uh, their next meal. Mm -hmm. Sure. At least 10 tankers and container ships are changing course as the Ever Given, one of the largest world's largest container ships, remains stranded. Of course, this is before they got got it unstuck. Uh, they say they say that they expect the uh, the number to go up as the closure progresses, but. Since now that it's unblocked, I would imagine they'll just pull up and just start, you know, joining the queue and uh, and hanging out there. That would be my guess, because it's better to be there for a couple of days, you know, even a week than to spend the extra 5000 miles to go around Africa and then back up. Listen to these numbers. When that ship was stuck in there, 
it caused other vessels to back up in the canal, holding up roughly $400 million an hour in goods. That's according to Lloyd's List Shipping Journal. That slowly increased over the last several days after repeated efforts by Egypt to refloat the 2,470,000-ton container ship failed, which they finally got it. Officials there are using eight large tugboats and excavation equipment on the banks of the canal to dig it uh, to dig out the sand around the grounded vessel. According to marine traffic, there are 97 vessels stuck in the upper portion of the canal, 23 vessels in the middle, and 108 vessels in the lower portion. See, we just saw the log jam at the north, right, coming out mm-hmm. of the coming out of the Met. We didn't see what's going on at the south. Mm-mm. The log jam stretches through the Red Sea, past the Gulf of Aden, and all the way to the border of Yemen and Oman. From Asia to Europe, we're seeing ships divert in the Indian Ocean, just below the southern tip of Sri Lanka. Uh, For Europe-bound ships coming from Asia, going around Africa instead of going through the canal can add up to seven days to a ship's journey. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. That's enough about the ships. At least they got a handle on it. Yeah. Now we just got to clear the backlog. Yeah, yeah, clear the uh, the traffic jam. That's all you got to do now. So, but no, that's that that's good. Good on the Egyptians, right? Good on the Egyptians. Yeah. Get that done. That that's good. Uh, and they didn't lose anything in the in the process. They didn't lose any more boats. They didn't lose any people. Nothing. You know, they got it done. It was clean. All right, the border. Right. Let's get to the border. Ugh, I hate to keep yeah. keying on this border, man. I don't want to talk about the border. I'm sick of talking about the border. We talked about the border one day. That was enough. Well, I mean, I, I would hope that would be enough, and they, we would have this, the problem solved. But you know, like we said, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think this is, uh, uh, you know, something they're wanting to fix, if you will. This no. is working no. as intended. Yeah. Well, some senators are down there on the border, and they decided they were just going to take a little look-see as to what's uh, what was going on there. 18 Republican senators were down there. They all decided to pack up and go down for a day on the border. They decided to see for themselves what was going on down there, so they took a little excursion to Texas, visiting several border facilities run by the Border Patrol. Did it list, by the way, who was going down there by chance? I have a couple of names here, but and one of, you know, one of them was Ted Cruz, of course. Of course. Obviously. Of course. You know, he probably led it because it's his state, right? That's, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Indiana Senator Mike Braun described some of what he saw, right? Listen to this. This is what he said. Uh, was he the one that was taking the video in the facility? Uh, the first time it wasn't Mike Braun. The first time it was uh, a Democrat senator or, or rep or something out of uh, Texas. Okay. Uh, they showed photos... Uh, excuse me, photos showed children as young as three years old jammed into the facilities that Braun described as the worst situation for migrants in 20 years. I've seen that, right? I've seen I've seen the photos. I've seen the videos. It's terrible. He earlier provided secrets with a video of migrants being held by the dozens under a bridge. In a debriefing of the tour, Braun said that one of the first stops was with the border agents at the edge of the Rio Grande, where illegal immigrants typically cross, right? We have video of the uh, the coyotes bringing them across, working for the cartels, bringing them over by the boatload. There, he said, coyotes who charge $4,000 to $20,000 to get them across heckled the group of senators in Spanish. All of a sudden, to hear from the other side of the river taunting from the smugglers and coyotes, most of it in Spanish, telling the border guards, whatever you do, we're coming, said Braun. That kind of hit home in such an anecdotal way because it is one story that kind of is a metaphor for what's happening all up and down the border. A big welcome sign was put out, said Braun. I think it was a political blunder, but I don't think it was a political blunder at all. I think it was done intentionally. Senator Ted Cruz described seeing cage after cage after cage of children. Senator Ron Johnson 
tweeted out with photos of the facilities and him at the uh, at the press conference. This is sad. This is a tragedy. This is a self-inflicted wound on our nation. Uh, not only is it self-inflicted, but uh, the Mexican president also thinks this is um, self-inflicted as well. Uh, he says that uh, the problem that's uh, at the border and with his country, with the illegals coming across, is uh, because of the Biden administration. So I would yeah, say they're... it's self-inflicted, but at the same time, we all know, uh, you know, the the majority of Americans voted for Biden clearly. So you know, these are not migrants that are coming out of Mexico. A majority; these are coming out of Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, as far down as Venezuela, even Colombia. That's where they're coming from. They're not coming from Mexico. A majority of them. I'm not going to say there aren't some from Mexico that are not mixed in there, but the ones that are coming up are coming up in these giant caravans. We saw the one, uh, what was it? We saw the video about a month ago. It was the 8,000 Guatemalan uh, migrants that broke through the line in Mexico. And those were supposed to be starving. I'm doing the air quotes, starving women and children. That's who they were supposed to be. But we, yeah. we didn't see a single, we didn't see a single woman or child in any of that. Not, not a single yeah. one. Well, uh, now we don't know if any of them identified as women or children. So, uh, you know, yeah, fair point. You know, I, I find this really fascinating that we're sitting here and we're talking about this and the administration is just ignoring it. They're, they're just ignoring it. They're flat out ignoring it. The media finally had to put some light to it. Finally. But even they are starting to just kind of skate around it and not really give it the, the, you know, the due diligence, if you will. But when you had a couple of people that were literally jumping over the fence, you know, using the, you know, the ladders to, to pile up on top of it, and they were jumping over the fence, the media was down there all over it saying, oh, look what's going on under the Trump administration. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. This this is inhumane what's going on down there. The way that these people are being treated in these in these facilities, and I'm not blaming the Border Patrol, they're overloaded. What was it we said? They have some of these some of these what are they? Pods is what they call them. Some of these pods. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're designed, no, that's being nice. That, but that's what yeah, but that's the, the term that the Border Patrol use. Uh, some of these pods are at fifteen hundred percent capacity with two guards. How are you supposed to manage that? And that's all the, the like that's all the resources they're given. How are they supposed to manage that? If everything turns into what they described last week, if if one of the border guards who described last week, he says, if this turns into a stampede, people are going to get killed and we are too. What are you supposed to do? Anyway, DHS readies the welcome mat for 800,000 family migrants. 800,000. Another 800,000. I'd argue it's you, you're probably missing a one in there somewhere. That's my guess. Well, 800,000 of uh, over how much time? <laughs> the Border Patrol are getting ready for, excuse me, they're prepping. Are you ready for this? They're prepping reception centers. They're called reception centers now to help a huge inflow of perhaps 800,000 family migrants. Now, that, of course, is this year, they say, just this year, along with a record inflow of unaccompanied children that uh, and a growing wave of single men. Single men, that means they're younger age. That means they're of army military age. Huh. Typically, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. The extra facilities are being used to provide legal advice and paperwork to help the migrants move permanently into America's labor markets and housing markets. By the way, do you know why uh, illegals take up our jobs that we don't want to do uh, as Americans? I do. Because actually, they can yes. get those jobs without paperwork. They can get paid under the table. 
Um, and it's not because they're skilled at it or aren't skilled at it or because they don't have the skill set or the capacity to learn a more skillful job. It's that it requires paperwork and they would be found out. Now, when you just give <laughs> amnesty to uh, millions, do you know what happens to your job market? Uh, you know how we've been saying, you know, on the conservative side, they'll be they're they're coming for your jobs. You know that that's one of the the rhetoric that they they will legitimately be coming for your jobs because they can go for the more well paying jobs uh, that require paperwork because they're legal now. Well, okay, yeah, yes, that. But I also think there's another aspect to it that that not a lot of people consider, and I'm I'm sure that you do consider it. Americans don't want to do those jobs. Well, yes. Um, I mean, I mean, think about to it. be fair, you don't like the the manual labor jobs, and exactly we're, who's going to pick the Americans? Lettuce? Who's going to pick the broccoli? Who's going to pick uh, the tomatoes? Well, the 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 automated robot that I've built that'll that'll go out and do that. Yeah, but you, you we don't see, have those so. yet. Yeah, we don't have those yet. But who's uh, who's going to do to that? There. Yeah, they're starting to get there. But but right now, the farm workers, right? Because that's what a lot of them do. The farm workers, the cleaning services, those things. And and I'm not I'm not being discriminatory here. I'm being dead serious. Tell me what average American young person between the ages of 18 and 29 are going to do those jobs. They're too busy. They're too busy. Their their work exactly, it's rare. They're too busy working on their hair or or gelling their hair because they're going out to a club or or they're busy on on Instagram or Facebook or whatever working on their likes or their yeah, whatever it is they're doing. They're too busy to go out and actually work. That's where I don't fault the people that are coming in. They are actually doing those jobs. You know, economies you know, sometimes we we bash on people that have certain jobs in a society. But you know something? The economies in our countries depend on people doing those jobs, whether that's a maintenance worker at a building or a facility somewhere or somebody that is working at a supermarket that is checking people out at the end of someone, you know, ringing them up, ringing them up at a cash register or somebody working behind uh, a counter at a deli. See, these are all examples of jobs that a lot of these hardworking people will do that come into the U.S. They will do these jobs, the cleaning jobs, the manual labor jobs, working on a farm, working on a construction site. Our economies depend on these types of jobs to be created and to be worked by people. But our people don't want to work them on average, on average. I'm not saying everyone's like that, but on average, a lot of them don't want to work those jobs. How hard is it to get a good farmhand these days? I mean, hell, the last 25 years has been difficult to get a good farmhand these days. But if you get... A lot of these people that are coming up from south of the border that don't mind the manual labor, they'll work twice as hard for half the pay. So, of course, they're going to do those jobs. Of course, they're going to take those jobs. What I don't agree with, the part that I don't agree with, okay, first of all, you come there illegally, but I understand to an extent why. To an extent why. If you're legitimately trying to create a better life for your family, okay. But we have a legal process. The problem with it is, is we've made it so complex that you have to come there illegally in order to try and make it work. That's not how it should be. But I'm kind of glossing over the uh, I'm, I'm kind of glossing over the point here. But we need those people to do those jobs. That's what it all comes down to. We need people to do those jobs. We need in in order for our societies to function, in order for you to get the services that you enjoy, you need people working those sectors of the economy that no one else wants to work. We're not laboring people anymore. We were the types of people back in the 20s and 30s that came from farming communities, largely. But we've become so domesticated on smartphones and social media and Netflix and our barbecue and our football that no one cares anymore. To be fair, I, I, 
personally, I quite enjoy not having to do physical labor. Um, but you know, yeah, but you and not I both know, and yeah, you and I both that. know that we didn't grow up like that. I mean, we didn't get true. <laughs> we didn't get paid. You were lucky if you got a good meal out of it at the end of the day. Well, to be fair, the, the family was always good about cooking. Yeah, good, yeah, good. You know, yeah, sure. But the fact is, is that. I mean, you try, like I said, you try and find a good farmhand these days. You can't do it. You can't do it. But the people that are coming in that want to work, that will work, that'll work their asses off, just like our immigrant grandparents did and great grandparents did when they came over. You know, both my family, both sides of my family came from Europe and they worked their asses off. The other thing, too, is they come from places that are skilled in those things already. You know, it's an agrarian society where some of these are coming from anyway. So to come here and do what they're already skilled in isn't difficult. You know, it's not it's not anything against race or their location or anything. It's just, you know, it's a different culture, different society. And uh, when they come here, that they, they already have that skill set and they already know it. You know, they're already good at it. So they come in and do it, you know. Um, that that is part of the part of it as well. There's other aspects to this. It's not just it's not just this. Okay, this is the this is the illegal side of it we're talking about. Okay, this this is the the illegal side of people coming into the U.S. What about the ones that legally come to the U.S.? What about those? What do they do? Well, this is the other thing that's been going on for quite some time. The H-1B visa program that's being taken up largely by a lot of uh, Silicon Valley companies, the big tech companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter all the rest of them, they'll bring in people from parts of like India or, or something like that, where they will get paid $30,000 a year. That's a lot of money in India. That's not so much in the US, but they'll get paid $30,000. They will. Here's what they will do. These companies, they will fire the American worker making $70,000 a year, and they'll bring someone in from India on an H-1B visa and put them to work for less than half the money. This is the other problem. So that's the legal side of it. So we've got a two front war going on as far as like job opportunities. Here's the thing. And tell me if I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm uh, misdiagnosing this, but why are we allowing companies to do this first and foremost? Why are we allowing the H-1B visa program to continue? I'm talking the legal side of it. Why are we allowing that to continue? Why do we not have a system in place to train our people in a crash course and get them back to work? Why do we not have that? Because the companies don't want to pay it. And we're allowing them to get away with it, in my opinion. Not only are the companies not wanting to pay it, but uh, it doesn't fit the agenda. Well, I'm sorry if it inconveniences some people in some high places around the world. But, uh, you know, something we got work to do. We don't have time for your nonsense. They don't care. They're, they're more interested in uh, social engineering societies to what they think is a, a perfect utopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their perfect utopia so far sucks. All right. That's all I'm going to say on it. I got a new there's a new video up today. It's in our Telegram channel. New video up today. The World Economic Forum wants you to eat bugs. Yeah. Yeah. There there's a whole thing up there on how they're going to do it, too. Oh, and you'll be happy about it. Yeah, you'll be happy about it. Yeah. So uh, Schwab, uh, Schwab and um, uh, Gates telling us uh, telling us that we should, um, you know, eat these bugs. Uh why are they not out there eating those bugs themselves? Why don't why, why don't you start in the home front first, and then uh, you know I don't know start there, and then maybe your offer it to your employees and everything, and and you know start it at that level, and then see how things go. So lead by example is what you're saying. Lead by example, yeah, yeah. Well, see, Bruce, they they have different diets that they have to you know they have special needs, and and they can't they they can't. It, true, they do have special needs. Um, we had. A, a, a man kill himself in prison that, you know, met two 
those or met those needs that they they had. Um, Is this a Jeffrey Epstein reference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a Epstein reference. Did I tell you that somebody I know that works at an Amazon DC had a package come through his line that said Epstein didn't kill himself? That was the name <laughs> of the package. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting how that just kind of slept under the rug. Now the no, nobody's yeah. really. Nobody's talking about um, uh, Ghislaine or whatever the hell her name is. Uh, I, I can't help but think. Of yeah. And you know something, that name, laptop, but, you know. that Hunter Biden laptop, that, you know, the FBI just, I mean, th- it was accidentally destroyed. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that, uh, yeah, you know, now, there's copies me, out there, but yeah, yeah if it the, were me, original, if it were me, if I were director of the FBI and I were a straight shooter, which I am, if I were the director of the FBI, anybody that was involved as far as anybody's name that's on paperwork to know anything about that laptop or is involved in that case, you're going to prison for a very long time. Let's get over into this. All right. The CDC apparently has the ability to stop evictions now. Who in the hell gave them this authority? How how on earth did this happen? As far as I know, constitutionally, and it's not even really constitutional, but uh, they only have the power to um, uh, quarantine or isolate. Which I think is a, a constitutional violation, but uh, yeah, uh, th- that's the only powers that they have. Uh, but apparently now they have power over your um, uh, whether or not you can evict someone, which uh, it's kind of a usurpation of uh, private property and the contracts that you created between you and another citizen. Uh, you know, seems a little seems a little illegal. So in looking into this. I was I was shocked when I saw this come across. This is out of CNBC. I couldn't believe it. CDC will extend the national eviction ban through June 30th. And then, of course, once we get to June 30th, oh, I'm sure they'll just extend it again because we're going to have bigger problems now with COVID passports, aren't we? Yeah. People are going to refuse and they're going to be stuck and all this. They're going to put you in between a rock and a hard place. Now they're going to start squeezing and segregating society because nearest I can tell they have no resistance. None. So apparently the eviction was set to expire just a few days from now, but they extended it. Again, I don't know how they have this authority. So the COVID-19 pandemic has presented a historic threat to the nation's public health. Uh Uh-huh. That was a proclamation that was made by uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who is a CDC director now. She says, keeping people in their homes and out of crowded or congregate settings, like the homeless shelters, by preventing evictions is a key step in helping to stop the spread of COVID-19. So I guess that gives you the authority now to have a moratorium on evictions of something we never should have been put in the situation of in the first place. Wouldn't this uh, wouldn't this be under the purview of HHS, not CDC? I would think so, yes. Because isn't that one of the... Isn't housing kind of under the HHS? It is. Yeah, so I, I could see... I could see it being under HHS, so maybe maybe the writer of this article is conflating the two because the CDC is under the HHS. Uh, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, they say if they don't have a moratorium on evictions, then that's going to pose a greater public health crisis. So is it CDC's just giving out their recommendation that they do this, or is because uh, they don't have the authority to do that? Well, they say that if they have mass evictions that could undermine the country's attempts to get the pandemic under control. Uh, Apparently, we I I don't know if we actually have a pandemic that's out of control, but they say that's because many displaced people would double up with family members or friends or are forced to turn to crowded homeless shelters. So basically, they're manipulating uh, things with COVID, usurping more powers than they actually have. Yes. By using the pandemic as their 
Oh, yeah, we didn't see that one coming. So at least two federal judges have questioned the CDC's power to ban evictions, as have I. And property owners have criticized the policy and say landlords can't afford to continue housing people for free. Yeah, what are the landlords supposed to do? You know, an apartment right now, the average apartment in Manhattan right now in New York, in Manhattan, is around what we say it was like three thousand dollars. Yeah, that was the original. I thought that was the original price. And now it's down from that, I thought. Is it? Uh, uh, let me let me see. Yeah, it, it was um, it was OK. It was over four thousand. Yeah, you're right. And it, it's gone down substantially because people mm-hmm. have uh, been leaving, uh, you know. Yeah. And of course, the landlords want to rent, but yeah, there's yeah, there's no one there. Housing experts said that it wouldn't have made sense to allow the eviction ban to expire before rental assistance goes out to people. Congress has allocated more than forty five billion in aid for renters. That's it. Forty five billion in aid. Forty five billion in aid. Now, think about that. Think about that. The covid-19 stimulus checks were what? Was it seven hundred billion? Uh, for um, I don't know. Four hundred exactly. four hundred billion for uh, what? Oh, the stimulus checks for okay, stimulus that checks. Was, was it 400 billion? Uh, yeah, I'm wanting to say 400, 450 somewhere okay. in there. Okay, 400. Well, let's just say 450. Okay, just for the sake of argument, 450, 450 billion dollars to send a 1400 dollars check to Americans. Correct? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so we're spending 45 billion in aid for renters. Yeah, that's um, that's nothing. There's, there's 43 million renters, by the way. That's. That's not enough money. No, that is definitely not enough money. Here's the interesting thing about it. It says the CDC's eviction ban applies to individuals who earn less than $99,000 a year and couples who make under $198,000 a year. To qualify, renters also have to attest on a declaration to their landlord that they're unable to afford their rent and that being evicted could result in them doubling up with others or becoming homeless. To give you an idea, that's uh, about a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars in rent yeah, assistance, roughly. Uh, roughly a thousand dollars. So the the average rent price for one month in the U.S. is over a thousand dollars. One thousand one hundred and forty three ish, somewhere in there. Yeah, <laughs> one month. There you go for the average American. That's all they're covering. And they required the United States to lock down for about a year in some places. And you're going to, this is all you're going to give them. This isn't a fair compensation. This is a violation of the Constitution. Again, uh, it was a violation in the first place to tell them to shut down. It's a violation to uh, force them to shut down and then not pay them a fair wage or a fair um, compensation. Uh, It's literally what the Constitution says. When you confiscate property uh, like this, in this case, business, you have to pay them. You have to compensate them a fair wage or a fair uh, price. This isn't a fair price. This is one month when uh, many places were locked down for nine months. No, no, this isn't. This isn't adequate. Well, that's what they did here. They ordered the businesses to shut down, and they said, "Don't worry, we're going to create this great system, and we're going to make sure that you get everything you need as far as cash and all that stuff." If that's the case. Right here. By the way, they screwed all the businesses here. Right. All the businesses got shafted. Here's the thing. If you really meant that this was a an actual threat to the public, then everything should have been canceled. The rent, the taxes, the utilities, all of it, everything. You don't have businesses close. You don't order businesses to close and then don't compensate them. I don't care what country it is. You don't compensate them and then you still pile up debt on top of them. That's evil. That's disgusting. That's not who we are. And yet that's what these governments have done. That's what we've allowed them to get away with. It's not right. 
I don't care what anybody says. That's not right. I don't care what side of the political aisle you come from. I don't care if you're right, you're left, you're center, you're Republican, you're Democrat, you're liberal, you're conservative. I don't care. That's not right. Can we all agree on the fact that that is not right? And the reason they closed down is because of what? A pandemic? A virus from China? Does anybody even remember where that came from at this point? Or have we been so tied up and so confused and so discombobulated and all this stuff? Have we actually forgotten where it came from? But that's okay, because the the World Health Organization, you know, we talked about the investigator last week, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I think we mentioned him. Yeah. Dasik. Yeah, Dasik. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. He he same guy. Right. And the reason. Uh, right, so we're going to talk about him again. Peter Dasik. Right. World Health Organization. Peter Dasik. He's the leader of the EcoHealth Alliance, which steered at least six hundred thousand dollars in National Institutes of Health funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology for the bat research, right? Bruce, this is what you and I talked about last year. We were all over this a year ago, and now it's just now starting to come out. He's defended China's coronavirus response and previously criticized the Biden administration for being skeptical of the World Health Organization's report on China. He dismissed the lab leak theory during a 60-minute appearance on Sunday. So, there's no way that it came from a lab, right? He dismissed that. There, there's no way that it came from a lab. Now, why do you say that it didn't come from a lab? Well, there's a reason. There's a reason. Bruce, you're going to love the reason. You're, you're going to love the reason as to why he dismissed the lab leak theory, because he said that he took China's word for it. So what business deals are you doing with China exactly? Well, we know a lot of his research is coming from Chinese funded institutions, right? CCP funded institutions and also the PLA. Right. We covered that last week. So we know that this guy's on the take. Yeah. Raheem Kassam over at the National File did a great story on that. Great backstory on this guy and his dealings with the Chinese Communist Party. He says, for an accidental leak that then led to COVID to happen, the virus that causes COVID would need to be in a lab. They never had any evidence of a virus like COVID in the lab. Not prior to the outbreak. No, absolutely. No evidence of that. He said, we met with them. We said, do you audit the lab? And they said, annually. Did you audit after the outbreak? Yes. Was anything found? No. Do you test your staff? Yes. But no one was. She said, the, the interviewer, she says, but you're just taking their word for it. He said, well, what else can we do? There's a limit to what you can do. And we went right up to that limit. We asked them the tough questions. They weren't vetted in advance. And the answers that they gave, we found to be believable, correct and convincing. This guy's utterly useless. He's absolutely useless. He's a complete buff he's a complete bumbling fool. I don't care what his academic credentials are. Look at his research. Look at where he gets funding. And they send him to be one of the lead investigators to China? Do you honestly think, even if even if it wasn't him, okay, even if it wasn't him, do you honestly think that something like this that has caused this kind of havoc on the global scale, do you honestly think that the Chinese Communist Party is going to be forthright about admitting where it came from? Yeah, of course they will. Uh, of course, they, 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 right. they have no reason to lie to the rest of the world. Of course not. These, these right. are good, genuine people, the PLA and the CCP. Now, mind you, mind you, he was the guy, this guy right here, Peter Daszak, who was the leader of the EcoHealth Alliance, who was an investigator for the World Health Organization, who was part of the investigation team that they sent to China, was the person that steered at least $600,000 in National Institutes of Health funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology for bat virus research. Let's break this down, okay? Let's break this down. So you've got the guy here who steered that money, 
in the National Institute of Health. Who was over the National Institute of Health and Infectious Diseases during that time? It was Dr. Anthony Fauci. Do we understand what's happening here? The same people that are giving you all of these confusing directions around the world as to what you should do, mask, social distance, take a vaccine. These are the same people that are responsible for us having this to begin with. That's not hyperbole. That's not hyperbolic. That, that's not some conspiracy theory. That's documented fact. We covered this a year ago. We were way ahead of the curve on this. But what was it called back then? Crazy. Conspiracy theory. You don't know what you're talking about. Tinfoil hat wearing lunatic. The CDC director has come out, uh, the previous director, by the way, the one that said the vaccines are, are, or excuse me, masks are more effective against the virus than the vaccines. But um, said to Congress before that, a few weeks before that, when asked, should healthy people wear masks? No. Yeah, um, that, that same guy. Um, he later says, uh, now that he's no longer the director, he says, now I can have my own opinions and I can voice my own opinions. Um, I think it was from a lab. Oh, huh. Interesting. Why didn't you say that before? I, I think he explained it right there, saying I am free to have my own opinions now. That means when he was in office, um, he was getting orders from somewhere else, uh, some probably the other State Department bureaucrats that have been there for, you know, another 40 years or whatever. Uh, the ones that what the, makes what a difference? call the shadow government. What makes a difference now? He's out. He's talking now. What, what makes a difference? They can get to him just they can get to him more easily now than what they could before. Well, he no longer has his position and it. He may have just been concerned about keeping his position, N not necessarily that they were going to come after him. So I don't know. I have his actual quote here. Robert Redfield is the guy's name. If anyone wants to go look up the quote, director Robert Redfield, director of the CDC and prevention under former President Donald Trump, said that COVID-19 likely originated through an accidental escape from the Wuhan lab and hinted this occurred following gain of function research there, which was made possible by the likes of Dr. Anthony Fauci. He said, I'm of the point of view that still think the most likely etiology of this pathology in Wuhan was from a laboratory. It escaped. It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in a laboratory to infect the laboratory worker. And of course, the Associated Press, as wonderful as they are and as truthful as they are, they reported on Monday that a final draft of the World Health Organization China study concluded a Wuhan lab leak was extremely unlikely. The report said a jump from bats to another animal to humans was most likely and the outlets said the World Health Organization team proposed uh, who proposed more studies into each area. But the lab leak hypothesis, a new report said such laboratory accidents are rare and the labs in Wuhan working on coronaviruses and vaccines are well managed. And also oh. noted that there are no records of viruses closely related to SARS-CoV-2 in any laboratory before December 2019, and that the risk of accidentally growing the virus was extremely low. Oh, so um, interesting. The, so there was a late they, night shredding session at the incinerator. So, uh, yeah, exactly. The um, United States back in, what was it? 2016, I think it was, when they were saying, uh, yeah, that laboratory you guys have, you aren't following proper procedures. Uh, oh, no, we, we wipe our hands from it and, you know, showed <laughs> was now a year saying after. there's no that, problem. That was a year after, just for reference, just to put the timeline together. That was a year after they transferred the gain of function research from the U.S. to that lab 
in Wuhan by way of Dr. Fauci and the NIH. Yeah, and gave them multi-million dollar grants. See, here's the thing. The reason that we cannot do this kind of work on these things, I mean, we have P4 labs, right? We've got P4 labs. Europeans have a couple of them. The Americans have a few of them, the Chinese. The reason we don't do this kind of work is very simple, because it's illegal. When you develop biological weapons, that's illegal. That goes against the Biological Weapons Convention that was written by Dr. Francis Boyle. I have his book. It's called Biowarfare and Terrorism. Go check it out. It's on Amazon for like 12 bucks. It's a good read. He wrote the International Biological Weapons Convention. So I'm going off of his research. I'm going off of what he wrote in the Biological Weapons Convention. And I'm looking at what they're doing. You cannot do this kind of work in Western nations. You have to do it in places like China. That's where you do your dirt because they don't follow the laws. They don't follow the same regulations that we have. So they do it there. And when something goes wrong, it's what you said, Bruce. Oh, our hands are clean. But the paper trail doesn't lie in this case, does it? It doesn't lie. We were able to figure it out real quick. I mean, real fast. It's not that difficult if you just know where to look. Now, all of a sudden, this is coming out a year later. Also, to, to be, yeah, I, I guess, thorough on this, we do gain a function research here in the U.S. It's just the laws and restrictions on there are, are far greater than someplace like China. So they, they would be able to research something like, I don't know, ad, adding HIV spike proteins to a, a, a common cold. I mean, they could do something like that in China. But here in the United States, you can't do that. That, that would be basically that's like making a bio bioweapon. Yeah. Basically, the Western world, you can't do that. We have regulations uh, prohibiting that. On top of that, when it comes to the manners of creating to the level of what you're talking about, when you're developing something that could be that could potentially be a biological weapon, that's illegal. Now, they dance around it in a way. There is a way for them to kind of dance around it. They say that we can't develop biological weapons. There's a process to doing that. When you develop biological weapons, you create the virus, you reverse engineer it to create a vaccine to guard against what you would call blowback, right? So blowback is meaning it comes back against your own population. So you have an inoculation already ready to give to your own population in case something like that happens or you're in military or whatever. Then after you do that, you figure out how to aerosolize, make it airborne, and then you turn it over to your government at that point for a delivery system, right? They have to attach it. I mean, just to create a biological weapon is not enough. You need a delivery system too, right? I mean, that's the process. As I said, it's all laid out in Dr. Francis Boyle's book. Bruce, you can attest to it. I got the book right here, right? Biowarfare and Terrorism. It's not that long. It's only about 100 pages. It's a good read. He's a professor at Harvard University. So we're not saying that they took all these steps. What we're saying is, is that this was something that they were working on that, I mean, it, it remains to be seen as to how it went. Was it intentional? Was it accidental? Don't know. But the timing matches everything that we've seen. The timing lines up with an intentional release. If indeed that was the case, it lines up. They were a year out from the election in the U.S. Trump had to go. And if you didn't have COVID, you wouldn't have had all of the election restrictions. You wouldn't have had the shutdown of the economies. You wouldn't have wiped out all the gains. So the timing lines up. Now, is that a coincidence? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just calling it like I see it. So the fact is, is that these people were doing dirt. Yeah, they were doing illegal research and they were doing it in China because they can get away with it there. And we funded it. And we funded it. There's a lot to protect here. You know, we said, as, as, again, this is nothing new. We said this a year ago. And I was telling people a year ago where this came from, who was involved and how it was being used. And everybody, everybody that I talked to said, you guys must be maybe 2% of the people on the entire planet that actually know how this is working. And now here it is. 
I feel a little bit vindicated. I feel good that it's finally starting to come to light. Although me personally, I would have had the handcuffs on these people 12 months ago. That's just me. That's the kind of person I am. That's my character. I see laws being broken by scum and I want to go arrest them. That's me. That's the legal just way we do things. That's how we keep our societies and our governments clean. That's why we the people should be living in peace and not under stress and anxiety and depression that these people put us under. So if we want to get back to a carefree life, then we need to start applying some handcuffs and fast. Speaking of applying handcuffs, Venezuelan president Nicolas Maduro, he got the ban hammer, didn't he? From Facebook. It certainly appears that way. And uh, I couldn't so, believe it. Yeah, the, the reasoning behind it, though, is actually comical. Honestly, it feels like it's an experiment uh, to see how a world leader would handle, uh, uh, you know, being banned, which they already technically did with Trump and went to the, the leader of the free world, more or less, and banned him uh, right before the election. But supposedly they banned him over COVID-19, saying basically they found a, a treatment or a cure to coronavirus and uh -huh. a remedy. And it... Uh, involved a um a pill that was just basically full of time like the spice okay well clearly this is fake news clearly this is fake news because we had the cure uh, over a year ago and it was put out by the islamic medicine specialist from iran uh mr sabili right and he yeah. he said and he put out the video on instagram and he said that he he heard the story from his his cousin's friend whatever. Uh, and he said, if you drink a glass of camel urine, then it will cure COVID-19. And and that that explains why the um, Islamic culture has no no problem with coronavirus, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the, he drank Bruce. He drank the camel urine next to the camel. He did. He did. He, did. <laughs> he actually did it. He actually did it. He did. Yeah. OK. I, I think well, later, though, he uh, I, I think he actually died from COVID, I think. Sabili? Did um, he actually die? I, th I think so. Let, let me let me see if I can. Just, he had, he had a big Instagram following. He had like 100,000 followers or something on Instagram. And to be fair, he did have a little bit of an obesity problem, didn't he? Yeah, uh, he did have a bit of a obesity problem. Do you remember what his position was? He was an uh, Islamic medicine uh, specialist. That was his official title. Yeah, there we go. Let's see. Uh, no, it wasn't that he, um, uh, yeah, he didn't die of it. Uh, that was that was uh, my misremembrance. Apparently, he was uh, arrested uh, for pushing the, uh, the, the treatment. Oh, he was arrested. Okay, interesting. Now, I just pulled the story that we covered uh, back during uh, April of last year. And uh, it was about a year ago now, actually about a year ago to the date. And uh, it was an Islamic medicine specialist from uh, Iran urged Iranians to drink camel urine, claiming it can cure several diseases, including coronavirus, according to a video posted on Instagram, which has since gone viral. Drinking camel urine can cure lung diseases, asthma and coronavirus. Islamic medicine specialist Mehdi Sabili said in a shared video on his Instagram page. Islamic medicine in Iran relies on the sayings of Shia imams to treat patients and is dismissive of modern medicine. This guy, this guy, he was the head of the Scientific Educational Association of Imam Sade's Medicine in Iran and has over 60,000 followers on Instagram. And I'm sure it's grown, right? Did you pull his Instagram page? Uh, no, but I found an article that says uh, he was arrested three days after that video went viral. <laughs> he was arrested. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Okay. In Tehran. Tehran. In Tehran. Yeah, he was arrested in Tehran. Yeah. That's a shame. I'll bet they confiscated that nice Mercedes he was driving, too. 
Yeah, and also the the video does not it's no longer on YouTube. It looks like no, I, I have it here as part of the uh, the article I pulled up. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, it violates yes. uh, YouTube's terms of service. How does that violate YouTube's term of service? No, it's honestly, I I think they 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 probably caught it because it doesn't follow the WHO's guidelines. Would be my guess. Yeah, and the the guy was arrested, so clearly it's okay to take it down. Uh, honestly, yeah. Tehran may have asked to have it taken down. Uh, well, yes, yeah. you know, whatever. All right. Well, I tell you what. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Uncle Joe for the last few minutes here. Uncle Joe, he got some really hard questions. He got some really hard questions the other day. Um. When are you getting a cat? Is it was it that one? No, no, that's that's not what it was. Oh, oh. no. Hmm. But he spoke to reporters, whether that was in front of a green screen or not. We're not sure yet. Uh, on board Air Force One for his short flight back to the White House. Now, the exchange between Biden and the reporters are as follows. Question, Mr. President, what have you given up for Lint? Oh, now these are tough questions. These are tough questions. Yeah, yeah, that that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. I, I know are, every Catholic really is uh, just devout Catholic. Yeah. Devout, devout Catholic, Catholic Bruce. is um, salivating at the. Uh, he's a devout news Catholic. Of what he's doing? Yeah. Yes, he's a devout Catholic. That's for abortion. He he said he's a devout Catholic, right? Of course, the Archbishop said he shouldn't refer to himself as a devout Catholic because he's for abortion. But anyway, now this was President Biden's response. He says, "I gave up all sweets for Lent." You have no idea how hard it was for me. Now, there's Does a follow-up he even question. remember what sweets are? There was a follow-up question. This was even more devastating for him to think on. The question was, what's the first sweet you're looking forward to having when it's over? Black and these white are tough cream. questions. These are tough. These are tough questions. And he did say ice cream. How, how about uh, asking a question about the border? Or how about asking a question about your tax plan? Or how about asking a question about how you unconstitutionally want to take everybody's guns? How about any of those kind of questions? You know? I don't know. Is saying that they're gonna they're they're going after every assault weapon. Uh, by the way, any weapon that's used to commit an assault is an assault weapon. So just just throwing that out there. <laughs> so, same thing when they use that uh, that phrase "weapons of war." What's a weapon of war? If you're in a war, everything's a weapon. <laughs> every single thing is a weapon that you can get your hands your on. Your hands. Your hands are are considered a weapon as well. Well, you don't need I mean, those. You don't need those, Bruce. Well, yeah. Those clearly. those are non essential. You don't need those. What are you gonna do with your hands? You gonna drive a car? Um, going, uh, uh, well, yeah, you're going to eat. I mean, you, you don't need those. Let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the infrastructure plan here in the last couple of minutes. Uh, he's going to try and push an infrastructure plan because we talked yesterday about what the infrastructure plan is going to be. It's going to be for that electric car crap. That's what it's going to be. Electric cars. It's also going to be the, uh, other side projects they have going on. Like, uh, that, um, what was that? That, uh, tube rail or whatever the hell it was. Oh, high-speed um, rail. The, yeah, the high-speed rail, yeah, that they were wanting to make. Well, in, these are for uh, roads like and bridges, California. apparently. These these are for roads and bridges. Of course, they don't tell you to, exactly what the roads and bridges are going to be. To be fair, roads and bridges do need some work, but... That's a state why thing. Are you, that, that, yeah, why are you doing a, a stimulus package taking uh, taxpayer dollars from the nation and focusing on your pet project states? You know, is this going to go to red states or is this going to go to blue states? Are they is it going to be a um, uh, it's going to be sent to the, the the states that were most affected by the pandemic? Well, who was most affected by the pandemic? Many of the red states are open. They're, they're back to work. Most of them. Uh, there's a few that are like uh, I think Maryland has a, a, a Republican in office there. But Ohio as well. Yeah. Yeah. Ohio. But Maryland 
uh, it's so left leaning over there in that part of the country. Anyway, when you say Republican there, that's a rhino. I mean, that's somebody that's uh, same in Ohio. DeWine, what a disgrace. So Biden's infrastructure plan, right? It's going to separate. Uh, he's going to separate it into two parts, uh, two separate pieces that he's going to unveil in two different parts of the month. Okay. Now, this is according to the crack shot they have up there at the podium every day, the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, which Biden hasn't even been in the press interview room yet, has he? He hasn't even been in there yet. No, uh, I think the only one that they that he's done now was done in the White House. So well, and, um, and the one on Air Force One about the ice cream. You're forgetting the most important one. Yeah. The second part of Biden's plan will include child care and health care reforms aspects of what is sometimes called social infrastructure. And that'll be released in, well, in a couple of weeks, right? You you don't know any, you won't need to know anything social. about that. Yeah, social infrastructure, right? Social infrastructure. What is social infrastructure? Well, the, Bruce, you just said, that's, uh, Jen Psaki just said, it is uh, child care and health care reforms. Health care reforms. Yes. Government run health care and Youth indoctrination. That's what that is. So Biden will separate his sprawling plan to upgrade the nation's infrastructure in two separate pieces that will he, that he will unveil weeks apart. Jen Psaki said on Fox News on Sunday that President Biden will unveil the first part of his plan, focusing on items like rebuilding roads and railways. Yes, because we need trains for what exactly? What do we need that, those that for? That is actually that is part of the social infrastructure. Health, education, housing, civic and utilities, transport, corrections and justice. Those are uh -huh. the social, social infrastructures. infrastructures. OK, so but back to this thing. OK, so roads, that's on the states. OK, first and foremost, that's on the states. The second, except for the, the except for the federal interstate system. OK, I get that part. But those always have funding anyway. Railways. We haven't updated the rail beds in the U.S. for 50 years, 50 years. Amtrak is run by the U.S. government, and it's a disaster. It's a disaster. It's uncomfortable. It's inefficient. It's outdated. There's no need to continue on with it. How about we get the government out of transportation? How about we do that? Can we consider that maybe? Can we bring in some private companies? If you want to do that, let the private companies come into it. You say you're going to build railways. To where? To carry what? We're okay. being deindustrialized. Let's bring in those those private companies, but there's a stipulation. You get paid X amount of money that okay, you get a quote. That's all you get. If it takes you longer to do the project, no more money. That's it. So you better move fast because I'm tired of these projects. They're working on doing redoing the roads and then a year out, they haven't even finished the road. They haven't even gone half a mile. It's like, what the hell have you been doing for the last year? So they're just milking the money off of the taxpayer. So that needs to stop. It's the same thing with the high-speed rail project out in California. They put a high-speed rail package together out in California, billions of dollars, billions of dollars. They built part of the infrastructure, and then it's gone. Work well, stops, and you've got like empty shells and, and rail lines laying around everywhere that haven't been scrapped. It's union, union extortion. But then you also have the... Um, looking at other countries, I'll use Japan as an example. They had damages to one of their overpasses. They had the overpass rebuilt, the entirety of it rebuilt, torn down and rebuilt within a week. There was a time last video of it. They worked day and night and got it done within a week. And we can't even get a, a section of road, a mile section of road done in a year. It's like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, seriously. It's it's not that hard. Even my grandfather, who was in that business, knows that. You know, they built the Golden Gate Bridge in less than two years. 
with today's technology and and Wouldn't whatnot, happen. it should be it should be even faster than that. It but, should be, but it'd be even longer yeah, because of regulations take, and red yeah. tape. Red tape, and not only that, but the the companies uh, milking it like we were talking. They just exploit it because the taxpayer it, it it's an infinite supply of money. So let's just you know milk the government. Uh, businesses do that all the time, and unfortunately, the government never puts their foot down and says, "Look, this is what we were quoted. This is what it's going to be. You don't get any more. If it takes you six months longer to do it, well, that's out of your pocketbook. That's how I think it should be." But yeah, some Biden advisors believe that dividing the package and pushing for roads and bridges proposed. Yeah, that that was an Obama thing. Roads and bridges. Roads and bridges. Yeah, roads and bridges. Roads and bridges. Yeah, go to hell with your roads and bridges. Real quick, there was a policy that I heard that I actually really liked. Uh, and this was for New York specifically, but it could work nationwide. Allow these big corporations to go in and adopt roads, if you will, and rename the road to the uh, to that corporation and have them take care of the maintain and take care of the roads. That ensures that they get their advertising that they want and they also get uh, good roads in the process because if, for example, Google is taking care of that road, they're going to have a damn good road because it's part of their image, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it would it would be you know, uh, advantageous for the the people to to do it that way. It would, and there, there's something else to that. It, it's interesting you bring that up because I was I was trying to figure out how I might be able to work this little point in pre World War One. You couldn't get a charter to build anything in the United States unless it would serve the public good. But we ended that right after the railroad boom of the late 1800s. We ended that because the bankers came in shortly after that, didn't they? Uh huh. So that charter was removed. So now it's about big spending, big government spending, big banking spending. That's what it is. It's not about what you're talking about any longer, right? It's not about that image of somebody getting a charter, applying for a charter to build something to to bring good to that community, to that that state, whatever. Right. That's what it used to be. And that's what it needs to go back to. So we need to reinstate that charter. You need to be able to get a license for something that's going to do the public good. And if it's not found to be in the public's best interest, you don't get that license and you don't get to do anything about stealing money. Period. End of story. So one trillion dollars of this uh, is going to be devoted to largely building and repairing physical infrastructure with a focus on fighting climate change. Yeah. The second part of the plan would include proposals like enter Bernie Sanders, free community college and universal pre-kindergarten government run daycare. Maybe that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's not a problem at all. Right. Jen Psaki said the plan will address a lot of issues that the American people are struggling with and cited child care and the cost of health care. Why are they citing child care? People are working from home. Cost of health care. Well, you pretty much rescinded everything that the last administration did. So their costs have gone through the roof. Yeah. Uh, by the way, why is health care so expensive uh, in the last you know, 15 years or Obamacare. less? Oh, Obamacare. Oh, that was who was vice president at that time? Hmm. Uh, started with a B. Uh, yeah. First name was Joe. Uh, yeah. Come on, man. Come on, man. I got hairy legs. Yeah, that guy. Does he even have hairy legs anymore? I don't know. Like, I don't know. That, He's always wearing suit pants. I don't know. That's that's an important question. Why isn't the media asking about his I don't hairy know. legs? I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good question. You got anything else on this? They're, they're going to start with $4 trillion and they're going to work their way up from there. They're saying this could go as high as $5.5 trillion. And hey, if they're going to do $5.5 trillion, well, hell, let's just make the next one 10 right? Let's make the next one. T- what? Who's who's counting at this point? Rashida Tlaib, gotta love her. 
She said, we're just going to mint one of those trillion dollar coins, right? And she said it again. She said it again. She well, said, we'll just mint uh... a, a trillion dollar coin and we'll deposit it in the treasury. She said it again to cover the cost of, of this. Now, when asked what would we need to do in order to guarantee further spending? She says, well, we'll just mint the second one. Uh, 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 using what material? Like they, there, there's not enough platinum on the planet for the first to make one. a coin. Yeah. So um, I, I and besides that, we, we have better uses for platinum than that. We do. Um, we have better uses to, for House members and senators. That too. Uh, another addition to this uh, social infrastructure. Um, a, a few other things to take note. Uh, community support. Uh, so, you know, the after school activities for kids, as an example, public spaces, information, access to information. So, you know, internet, library, you know, that sort of thing, which they've kind of talked about. Public safety. Hmm. What do you think is under public safety here in the, the most recent uh, rhetoric that they're talking about? Gun control. Well, and COVID-19. That that's the longer running one, but gun... Well, no, actually, gun control is longer running. Well, Bruce. But anyway. Bruce, gu guns foster the spread of COVID-19. Did you not know that? Yeah, right, right. And arts and culture. I had to go through a bunch of these uh, left-leaning websites to dig through to see what they what they consider um, social infrastructure. And uh, sounds kind of, kind of, kind of sounds like uh, some of the stuff that they're talking points here. You know, it, it sounds... Uh-huh. Hmm. We're out of time today. We did run over a little bit, but that's okay because uh, I, I think it's warranted when you're talking about this kind of money. This is more money than than's been spent in in our lifetimes. I mean, this is this is a historic level of money we're talking about here. Does anybody care anymore? I mean, I don't think so. We we uh, the the 2008. We we were all up in an uproar about the uh, the bailouts and stuff they did back in 2008. That wasn't even a trillion dollars. It was 800 billion. Now they're yeah. Now they're talking about doing. Uh, the the one and a half trillion, the, the the four trillion. It's like now it's just like let's just hand out trillions like candy. COVID because of COVID, you set the precedent. Now they're running wild with it. Yeah. So I did speak to Marty today. He uh, will be around this week. Uh, he'll stop in and say hi. I do want to do some Q and A this week. I, I'm looking forward to that. I tell you what, we're going to put a poll up and we're going to get feedback from you, the listener. We had to change some things a little bit. Bruce was a little concerned about some things going on in our Telegram channel. He says, wait a minute, we're posting all kinds of stuff over there. That might drown out people wanting to listen to our podcast. Well, we figured out a little feature that Telegram has called a pin feature. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put out the podcast every day on Telegram, just as normal, and we're going to pin the podcast each day. So those of you who are subscribed and have your notifications turned on, you will get notified when that podcast gets posted and it will come out as a pin. So no matter what we post in that channel, the podcast that you want to listen to will always be at the top of the page whenever you look at our channel. So it's always there. So you don't have to go scrolling back up to, to look for it or anything like that. It's always going to be pinned to the top for that day. So that's where you'll find it uh, anyway. All right. So, yes, for those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel yet, get over there, get signed up to us. We are posting all of our podcasts over there because we know the podcasting censorship is coming on the main platforms at some point. But we're also posting some other things in there, such as news articles, videos, uh, photos, things like that. And we do have a comment section. We have a discussion board up as well uh, that you can join if you so choose. Um, and then, of course, we're going to be doing some live Q&A this week. Will not be recorded. Won't go out on a podcast or anything like that. But it'll be very impromptu. It'll be very laid back. 
Um, I'll be in there. Bruce, you'll probably be in there. Uh, maybe we can get one of the other guys to jump in with us. Uh, and you, the listener, will be able to jump in and, and ask us questions. You know, jump in, jump out, whatever you want to do. Um, or if you just want to come in and listen to us, uh, talk to some other people. Uh, that'd be great, too. But uh, I'm going to put a poll up and see what uh, see what all of you think. Uh, see if you'd be interested in, in joining uh, or taking part in that uh, in the coming days. And if we get a good enough response, then, well, we'll just jump in there. So anyway, uh, yes, get signed up to us on Telegram. Get over there. Get signed up to Telegram. And then search for us when you get there. Search for Dynamic Independence where public channel will pop right up. Click join. You'll be subscribed to us there and you'll get everything that I just mentioned. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com or you can drop us a comment on one of our posts in our Telegram channel or you can join us on the live Q&A in the coming days. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. We are trying to grow here as much as possible, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We are available everywhere you get your podcasts with the exception of SoundCloud. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you give us a rating when you get a chance, that would be helpful as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, that will do it for today. Thank you for being here, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.